Hello and welcome to Yes Sir I Can Brewery episode three where today we're going to be chatting to James Goulding from Verdant who we love very much. He's kind of our brewery uncle. He's a, a friend of mine who we text for advice very regularly. I'm Robbie Knox. I'm joined here by Michael Miller. Michael, how are you? Well, I'm good, thank you. I'm good. It's very early in the morning, but all is well. How are you doing? Very good. I've, I've, it is early in the morning, but I woke up at 4am and... Um, I didn't have any coffee in the house, so I drove to McDonald's to get some coffee because it's the only place open. So there we go. That's 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 an insight into my morning Excellent. for you. Um, Mike, was anyone had... else there at four a.m.? It was quiet. I went through the drive-through. There's one car ahead of me. So there we go. Um, I didn't eat it. That felt a bit depressing. Right onto um, <laughs> uh, onto our news before we start. Before we chat, James, um, yeah. we have released our uh, second round of collabs: two beers, Pacific Days, and Atlantic Nights. Two collaborations with the wonderful S Forty Three Brewery, who we chatted with on the last show. They they've only gone out to our mailing list so far. They've not gone out publicly, and we've not tweeted links or anything. So it's only people signed up to our mailing list. Michael. Can you let us know, you've been in touch with S43, I don't know the answer to this, have we sold any beer? We have sold some beer. Yes. Yeah, I'll build, build up to the, I'll build, oh. up to, build up to the tally. Um, I'll hit you with some of the uh, fascinating data which makes marketers like me a little hot under the collar. Um, so, the, the, all the people that visited... Um, uh, from the link, the secret link that we sent, we had a conversion rate. So the people, the actual proportion of people who bought the beer, that was fifteen percent, right? Nice. Now that probably sounds quite low, but actually that's at the top end of what we would have expected. Um, so we should be really, really happy with that. Fifteen percent of all people who visited the site went ahead and bought some beers, and indeed one person visited the site eleven times. Wow. Um, I'm not entirely clear with me. people. That could have been me. Um, <laughs> I'd like to think it's someone who's really carefully considering their purchase. Did they buy after the last time, hunt. do we know? But that, I, I don't know. <laughs> That's terrible, isn't it? Um, but uh, just in terms of other stats, um, biggest single place uh, people came from was London at 24% of all visits. Probably not surprising. Um, we had... But we also had um, a surprising number of people in London, it turns out. Um, we also had uh, strong traffic from Manchester, Birmingham and Edinburgh as well. So, you know, we're, we're up and down the country. So that's really lovely to hear. What about people Norwich? That's all people all care over. about, Mike. How are we doing in Norwich? Norwich. Norwich was an elite group. Uh, at 0.58%, so just over half a percent of all our traffic came from Norwich. Um, uh, so, yeah, uh, uh, almost everyone came to us through through their mobile phones, which is may sound like a really boring thing for potentially for people listening, but trying to work out whether people come to you from mobile or from through a tablet or a laptop or something like that makes a huge difference to how you market. So that's really interesting for us. Um, and interestingly, um, people who came to us from tablets had an 80% conversion rate. Oh, So people with tablets really want to buy our beer for some reason. We should hang outside um, the Apple we'll shop following people who buy iPads. <laughs> it's no question. So let's, let's take us up to, um, to how much we sold then. Um, we sold a shade under, in the first 48 hours of sales, a shade under 1,100 cans, which okay. we should be super chuffed about. 
Um, How many are there in total? Four thousand. Yeah, just around uh, about that. Yeah. So we sold a quarter of all our beers in like the first day and a half, two days of sales. That's all on pre-sales. That's only to people on our mailing list, which is just fantastic. So thank you very much to everyone who got involved. And it's worth pointing out, um, Binday Brewers are a thirsty group. They bought, on average, more than people normally buy in a single sitting from S43. Dedication. Um, so that's great. Dedication and love, and we love you too. So there we go. So to cut a long story short, two days in, we should be really happy. Wonderful. Well, I'm really happy uh, with that. We've always, I was, I, we've got it on tap at the Murderers Pub in Norwich, as we mentioned before. Um, and I've been in there a couple of times, once with you on Friday night, and then I came, went in again on Saturday after watching Norwich get pumped by Watford. And, um, and when I was in there the second time, I was just at the bar, obviously, ordering some of our beer. And a guy walked in and bought just a single can to take away of one of them sort of thing. So, obviously, word has got wow. out that the Murderers has cans of this in as well if people want to take away so exciting exciting times indeed mike should we have a quick look into your into your sack and your mailbag see what you've got yes absolutely how, how, Let's how, how, how deep in there. bulbous is your sack at the minute the sack's the sack's quite full actually and i'm <laughs> looking forward to emptying it Excellent. Please um, do. so <laughs> right so we had we had Again, as usual, lots of people offering us help, which is brilliant. Um, and all their details always go into the golden spreadsheet of glory. Uh, Damien, we, um, we uh, should uh, highlight, because uh, he can get us a forklift or a pallet truck, nice. which I'm sure we will be in need of at some point. Um, lots of people congratulating us uh, on, on the beer, which is brilliant. Um, everyone getting very excited about free shipping, which again, for anyone who's interested in the sort of marketing and e-commerce side of things, psychologically, e uh, free shipping is a hugely important thing. So if you can, you should always offer free shipping to people. Um, Alex, uh, who's put in an order, said it would be rude not to support the nicest man in the world on his journey. Is that me um, or you? So, so that'll, that'll be me. No. Uh, um uh, we had so many messages here. Sorry, the um, Chaz pointing out he has a hundred percent record of buying Binday beer. So uh, well done, Chaz. Well done. Uh, the completest. Um, yeah, uh, someone called Bullish Trades on Twitter was selling us, you know, sent us picture of his order and said, "Uh oh, I've been influenced." Um, that is that so is certainly a referral to you. Marvellous. Um, and I just want to say hello to Panda in Australia and Thora in the US, both of whom were asking if they could get our beers or when they can get our beers. And we are working on international distribution. We'd love to serve the whole world. One uh, day. One step at a time, guys. That's the answer to that. Um, someone that, thank you, Michael, for emptying your sack in front of us. Um, we should, uh, we should um, probably move on to our interview for the day, our chat, which is with a, um, a very lovely man, someone who knows a huge amount about brewing and um, has worked at uh, uh, a number of great breweries. I'm sure he'll tell us about it in a second. Uh, it is the wonderful James Goulding. So let's get on to the chat. James, hello, sir. How are you doing? Thank you. You guys? Are you in, are you in Verdant Towers at the minute? Is that what we can see in the background? I am, yeah, this is the delightful port cabin office that we're using, just to give you a real authentic oh. experience. Of, <laughs> Thank of, you, uh, we appreciate that. <laughs> first things first, are you getting bored of us texting you with inane questions no, about brewing? Guys. I think it's brilliant, you know. Uh, happy that I can share what knowledge I've accumulated in the past. 
and trying to help you guys not make some of the same what seem like obvious mistakes now but that weren't at the time when we were getting started out and you know yeah just uh, more than more than happy to keep going with it excellent thanks pal good and I'm, retur- I'm, I'm sort of returning the advice favour in terms of NFTs aren't we we're, we're having like a two-way thing where it started off with me asking you questions about brewing and you asked me them so good good um, but, but just to give people a brief rundown can you, can you just tell us roughly your a brief synopsis of James Golding's career so far yeah okay so uh, keeping it relatively short approaching year 10 or 11 now started at Lerwig uh, way back when, um, not long after Mike Murphy had got there, went through all the changes and uh, the growth, which was incredibly useful, you know, to be sort of in at the ground level um, in a very, very big brewery. You know, there's, there's not many breweries that are able to brew that much beer at that age on their sort of career trajectory. Um, so I did four or five years there. Um, Loved it, but fancied a change. Moved back over to the UK, went to Wild Beer, which was a completely different experience. Uh, all barrel age, all sours, all very, very high end, a lot of restaurant and um, yeah, specialty stuff. Went through a crowdfund with those guys and thought, okay, it's going on a trajectory that's not really where I want to be anymore. So part of the company, all on good terms. Met Collective Arts and started doing their European and Asian planning strategy um, wasn't there for as long as I thought I'd be but couldn't turn down the opportunity to come down and work for Verdant down here in sunny Falmouth um, I'd known Adam and James a little bit but Adam longer pretty much since they started um, and just thought you know if there was ever a time to, to go and, and join them it's now you know everything is started aligning for them so yeah that's that's, that's the sort of uh, the four you know, X's if you like. Wonderful. You, you don't get many more breweries in the country more respected than Verdun. <laughs> what? Why? Um, what? Why? Why is that? Do you think? What was it? Well, was it? First of all, was it like working for a brewery that everyone universally loves? Nah, not everyone. It's, it, no. Uh, no. I mean, it's, it seems to be a very common theme these days, right? That uh, on social, certain social media platforms, you can find a lot of heat and a lot of. I would say unnecessary just you know negativity if, if I don't like a product or a brand or anything I just don't feel the need to go on and slam them but you know certain people do and that's they're right but yeah it's, it's interesting it was, a de- it was a definite change of pace you know I've gone from having to to push to having to make slow beer to having to push again to coming down here where we uh, you know we really focused on one thing all the time which is hazy hoppy beers you know we we recently experimented slightly more wanting to push our i say styles but you know they're very experimental at the moment for for us at least you know they're not particularly crazy they're not trying to reinvent the wheel but yeah it's it's fun you know it comes with a very uh, unique set of challenges um i'm not always that comfortable with living in that bubble or the hype of it because you're kind of you know we get accused of not producing enough or deliberately making it hard to get and you know it's just not the case we're very very structured and we want to make this amount of beer this way and we've been lucky enough and work with a good enough team whereas 
you know, we don't really have anything to offer beyond what we make and we're not really interested in in pushing and breaking through that ceiling and going bigger and bigger and bigger for the sake of it. You know, we're all very uh, comfortable is not the right word, but it's, we're very happy with where we are and how big it is. It's, it's still fun, you know, we're not really a, dictated by one brand or one contract or one type of beer that we have to produce over and over again because that's in this amount of supermarkets, football stadiums, etc., etc. So, you know, it's still got that agility. Um, and yeah, it's, it's it's a lot of fun. You know, there are horrible days, but there are horrible days at every brewery, I'd imagine, you know, when, you, when your machines go down or when your staff are pinging left, right and centre with COVID at the moment and, you know, you're sort of scratching around going, okay, right, well, we need two draymen or someone in the warehouse or, you know, we just can't brew this today. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a good laugh, you know. And I think my, if you ask me my favourite thing about it, it's definitely the community, you know, spent a lot of time nurturing and, and working on that with our fans and investors and uh, our interaction on, maybe not on social, but with them directly. And I think that we've, we've got a very loyal fan base, which we've worked hard to keep. James, can... James, can I ask, what is it that's, because that community element is a key part of what we're doing, right, in a slightly different way. What is it that's made you guys so successful at doing that? Um, I think at the start, you know, before I joined, I would have to say it was probably the little guy and the fact that they were brave enough to push or to attempt to push styles that were, you know, they weren't that easy to accept here when, you know, Traditionally, we were told it needs to be clear. You know, they don't want murky beers. They want crystal clear, bitter, West Coast IPAs. That was the style. And, and for a long time, you know, these hazy New England beers were considered a bit of a, you know, you're an under-par brewer if, you, if you're only producing them. You're accused of only making the same three flavour profiles. And, you know, the, the way that they handled that and didn't make too much noise, but really supported the people that got into it and, the whole web shop model was pretty, you know, whilst not unique, it was very well managed. We release our beers on a Wednesday every week. Um, and then the whole crowdfund and the way that we did that was very methodical with the way that we, you know, keep our investors sort of up to date beyond just the sort of quarterly emails and updates of the business. We've nurtured a Discord community that is open to all, but the investors have their own channels. Three, four of us are in there all the time. You know, half the time with them, they have a question, they ask it, it's answered within two hours. And, you know, then a whole discussion starts up about this beer or this particular project they're working on, etc. So, you know, we, I'd like to say we're very inspired by the American, you know, consumers coming into the brewery and, and that taproom space. And we want to be, but we are also at the, you know, not quite the arse end of the world, but we are a long way from anybody, so having the web model for us at the start was key to getting the beers out, to having that control, not <coughs> not sort of over the schedule, but but definitely have that route to direct to consumer with the beers that we're releasing, and then yeah, just nurtured it and grew it, you know, and that's that's really what's exciting me about about your project is this, you know. I'd say it's probably one of the first words that pop into people's minds when you think about a local craft brewery's community. Um, and one thing, if anything, from the last sort of 16, 18 months is digital, whatever space, it's a lot more open. People are using that now where they can't just go out 
to a local tap room as easy and see as many people and do all the things that we were doing three, four years ago. So, you know, the concept of, of twitching, live brews and, and all of these, you know, to industry people probably quite, oh, why do people want to know what goes on in this? But to people who just consume beer and are interested, you know, I think it's brilliant. I think it's really got a lot of legs and the openness as well, you know, the people love brands with honesty and integrity, you know, it's really a key driver. So I think, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting to see your trajectory, you know. Thank you, thank you. Well, the, the, the new the new beers are out now to our mailing list. Mike, Mike has some kind of stats. What what have um how many how many have you sold so far? Well, in the first forty eight hours, was it? We sold uh, uh, about about one thousand one hundred, give or take a beer or two, Super. in the first couple of days. Um, so there. Yeah, out yeah, of the public I, I, now. Um, in terms of um, in terms of storytelling in the craft beer industry how do you think it traditionally has been up until now are people do you think people are generally good about telling what's going on yeah, or does it vary massively there are definitely breweries that stand out uh, you know for for me personally it's never really been my world with the, with the work I've done and do at the breweries you know I tend to be a lot more ops focused and you know occasionally we'll dip in if people are on holiday or whatever but yeah I'd say we're finally through that phase now. It feels like just here's a really good looking Instagram shot of the beer, buy it. You know, um, there's always value in well groomed and attractive Instagram accounts. Don't get me wrong, but you need a little bit more. You know, you need to sort of tell the story and explain what makes it different from the other however many beers are being released that week. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's without sounding, you know, horribly brand driven, it's really important, but it's also, it doesn't have to be the be all and end all, you know. There are brands that are way, way, way beyond that in terms of, say, Thornbridge, etc. Who don't? They have it, and it's nice. And I'm not throwing shade on them, but it's not their model is to, you know, it's not like ours, which is like we have to grab your attention on Instagram, drive you to the web shop. Whereas they're, you know, they're the size where their brand just carries it now. Yeah. No. Well, fair enough. James, can I ask what what was it about your brand and your storytelling that made people buy into Verdant? Oh. It's not really one I can answer for, you know, that accurately. That'd be that'd be one for, for Adam or James. I mean, as a fan before working here, it was a combination of the design. You know, it it looked different. It felt different. Um, the fact that it was always or started off as hazy hop forward beers being brewed down here felt very to me at least, that sort of East Coast brewery, they're always a little bit outset of, of towns and cities and they're very, what we call destination led. So, you know, you're there for the day to pick up the beer that you can only get there. Um, and then it was the liquid, you know, it's, I feel like with us, some of the art is really striking and some of the art is really quite simple uh, and still very, you know, I'm biased obviously, but still I think very strong. Um, but I love that we don't have this defined you know, cookie cutter type. Just change the font, just change the colour on that one. You know, everything looks and feels different, but when you see them all together, it does still, you can get, oh yeah, that, that's all one brand. Like they haven't just changed design halfway through or, you know, and the series where we do do that, it's very obvious that, you know, they're banded in a series of local artists or, you know, we've used 
X amount of, of different things for this reason. The story is, is, is well told. And that's something Adam spends most of his time working on, you know, is is the it is the really the brand sort of story, you know. Because whilst we are five years old and a decent size, not not you can't take it for granted, you know, when we go to London Festival a few weeks ago, there's still people walking up going, didn't even know you there was a brewery in Cornwall. Yeah, nice. Um, on, to, on to sort of strategy sort of things. We've we've had a lot of chats with you over beers in, in the past about things anyway, but we're, we're at a point where we've done a couple of different collabs. We've got a few more in the pipeline. And we know the end plan to build a physical brewery eventually. Mm. But I think the big decision for us really is working out how we go about that and whether it's a case of um, do we go hell for leather towards raising money and building a physical brewery or are we best to try and get out some of our own beers because everything's been collabed so far but things that we've we've made like Binday IPA itself that you've you've tasted in the past mm. um, what are your thoughts on that and I know there's no one answer but what, what are your, your views I've been both sides of the fence with contract brewing or you know we've contract brewed for people and we've needed contract brewing um, it certainly worked for a lot of people in terms of giving them the platform to start a brewery um, I'd say it seems like it was really prevalent 14, 15, dipped a bit and now recently has come back up there seems to be a lot of brands that have either had to move or upscale and shop facilities and contract brew to keep them going in the interim or have used it as a platform which is you know essentially what you're describing right so yeah I would say uh, in terms of strategy decide how much how much beer you want to produce not how much you think you can sell or you know don't be led by what other breweries are doing or you know just be a bit bullish in that in the sense that you know you know how much beer you guys want to make let that dictate everything else work very hard on your forecasting and projections and you know not kick the can down the road with selling it but you know if you just chase volume or you know you underspec it and you're forever upgrading it you're constantly trying to catch up with, with things um, in terms of getting started yeah I probably if I was in your shoes I'd probably contract another four or five times and then look but you know it's, I guess it's always it's like buying a house. If the right one comes along, the right space comes along next month, you got to take it. If it's you know sort of right but not right, you probably let it go. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you touch on crowdfunding then, or am I getting you know? We, we, well, we haven't, we haven't yet. You might be my might children screaming in the background, but just ignore that. It's, we're recording early in the morning. <laughs> They've just woken up. Probably haven't had breakfast yet. Um, so, so yeah. I mean, I mean, so in terms of. Decide, you mentioned deciding how much we want to brew. Is that in terms of then we can go, this is the size of brew house we need, this is the size of space we need, and that sort of stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, we work very modularly here where, you know, it, we brew in 40 heck, 80 heck, or 120 heck, and then everything in and around the, the brew house and cellar floor is derived from that, so we're either doing single, double, or triples, and then we know all of, all of the time roughly yields and, and pack times and how much volume and how we want to split that so you know uh, I'm sure every single brewery is, is working on some different version of that model you know um, but knowing sort of what size is 
is your you know, ideal. Mm. You're not going to then try and be, you know, turning a 20 barrel brew house too many times or, you know, not enough and be worried about your efficiency and your KPIs. You know, it's, it's really difficult. You know, I appreciate when people are starting, cash flows are tight and expansion is sort of, you know, a necessary thing. There are very few breweries that can just start with enough space and miraculously go. Um, but yeah, I'd say the, the one piece of advice I could give you is have that figure in your head and stay there. I don't think enough breweries in the past four or five years, maybe now it's different, but in the past four or five years have been happy with they are, the space that they have owned and just staying there and continuing to you know produce good beer. There seems to be this or seem to be at least in the past this unnecessary need for growth you know it's not me to tell everyone how to run their business but not everyone can be going like this at the same time right it's, it's we're just fighting each other and you know it's selfishly you know as an ops manager at the brewery the, the bigger you get the more headaches you have you need more staff you have more outgoings you have more way more things to juggle and try and make better and I don't know it, it's just it seems like for me, anything above fifteen thousand hectoliters is a, is hard. Okay, you know, but I'd be I'd be guessing you guys would be probably looking at what two and a half thousand hectoliters putting out about fifteen barrel kits, say. Yep, that's that was roughly the yeah. sort of chats we have. But yeah, yeah, no, good. Okay, so so get a, get a plan and then stick to it. Essentially, yeah, you know, to to, to 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 change it, you know, it's it's not not set in stone, you know. Uh, you can definitely rip it up and start again but you know there's been so many instances of friends with breweries or you know, other breweries that we've known that have had three or four expansions in five years and you're like wow the money that you guys are sinking in to that with those losses you know after you bought this brew house and then it wasn't big enough so you bought that one had to take the old one out put the new one in had all the downtime you know if you can go slightly bigger than you need at the start always do it um, right don't skimp on the floor. The floor needs to be the most expensive thing that you have. I'm sure Alex S43 and everyone else you've brewed with will tell you about smoke drains and how important they are. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of resin chats. It's, it's always one of those. You're like, you're like, oh, it's sort of 25 grand for a fermenter or 50 grand for a sloped floor. I think we'll do two fermenters. You're like, oh, you'll be cleaning that forever. Okay, so, um, so spend most of my money on floors, yeah, Mike. Floors, remember, write that down. Floors are very, very important. Floors and pump. But yeah, it's uh, you know it's different for everyone, and that's the sort of that's the nice thing about it is when we're hanging out with other brewers. We just had a lot of people down this weekend because we had our our festivals cancelled sadly due to COVID, but we had a few of the breweries still come down and, and hang out because we haven't shown off space properly before. You know, everyone's on a slightly different journey with slightly different equipment and a slightly different, you know, ethos and way of wanting to do things. And, and I think that's what makes the whole thing interesting is it's very open at the same time, you know, they're all a little bit guarded with what they want to do and how they achieve it. But it's it's definitely fun for us, you know, hanging out and talking shop about all these different things and, and what everyone's plans are. Do you enjoy all that stuff, talking with other brewers about yeah, the sort of strategy yeah. side of things? Yeah, for the most part I do. There, there was there was a time in February where I was getting a bit irked with it. Um, no fault through it of anyone's, but there was you know a lot of issues with exporting beer. Um, and we'd worked pretty hard getting our ducks in a row with a few, and spent a lot of money with a few um, 
freight forwarders and logistical companies, and I can't remember who. But I was dragged into an email thread and sort of said, oh, any questions, he's your man. And I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> like 25 breweries. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of questions. And I can't you know, confidently say I know how to do this. We're two months in. Um, we've got beer moving uh, about 70% compared to what it was pre-Brexit. Now I'm not getting into whether it's right or wrong. But, you know, we managed to do it. I can't just give that up, you know. Yeah. But no, it's good. Generally, it's good. You know, if people are pushing a little bit too hard with wanting uh, advice they're not comfortable giving, then, you know, they don't get asked if you sort of say, kind of to figure that one out for yourself, you know. Yeah. Um, there's not many that just take, 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 which is more. Apart from us. <laughs> Can I just ask, speaking of, speaking of your freight and logistics, mm. where are your markets? Oh, Who's buying your stuff? I'd say the, the, the breakdown sort of changes week by week, but we try to hold around about 25 to 30% direct through the web, um, about 35 to 40 through wholesaler, UK wholesaler and direct. Um, export dips, you know, I think the most we've ever done is around about low 30s a month. Um, and then the rest, we, you know, we have a, a good presence in Cornwall in the summer. Uh, this, this summer was particularly good for us with everyone holidaying down here. Um, but yeah, there's not really sort of one that, that dominates, you know, one week it may be the north, which, you know, it sounds very blanky, but for us, we say the north, we basically mean uh, M62 corridor. Uh, London is obviously, you know, the busiest of <clears throat> of all the markets, but it's, it's definitely the hardest for me to say, oh, you can go to that bar and get a beer because, you know, they're changing all the time, etc. Um, and then in terms of Europe, all of Scandinavia, France is going very well for us at the moment. Spain, Italy, uh, Germany. We don't, we don't really have a lot to offer of export. It sort of, we have partnerships with 10, 12, 15 people that we really know and like and trust. Uh, and when they order, we try and say, oh, we can give you this or you have to wait a while because we, you know, we, we try to live very very close to the line in terms of production versus what we can and can't sell. We don't have And in terms of that sell, how, it's, how would you, if you had the choice, mm. how would you, in what, what form would you sell it? Would you do it all online? Um, do you want it in bars? Uh, I think the accountants would love us to do it all online, um, you know, lowest overheads and, and highest GP, but there's, there's still, you know, you have to keep everybody happy. We work with wholesalers. We want to see the, the, the bar, the beer, sorry, on draft in bars and pubs. So uh, I think the split is probably <clears throat> as good as we could get it. You know, there may be some beers that, that, that do a little bit better on the web for us. I'd say double IPAs seem to be the style for us that are a bit slower on draft at the moment. Um, I think with pubs being shut and not, you know, on trade just coming back in the last four or five months, there's a there's a surge for for pints and you know eight percent hoppy beers aren't necessarily the easiest drink. But yeah, I don't think I changed too much. You know, I'm comfortable where it is for for a new new business. You know, your wholesaling percentage is probably going to be a little bit smaller just because there's not the necessarily the demand for you at the start. Um, 
So it, it will definitely change over time. Um, but yeah, that, that's one of the things that you can be quite fluid on. I think it's not it's not a set thing for me where it has to be uh, locked in. Nice. Mm. Well, um, in in terms of um, costs yep. for things now, I know mm. this is an impossible question, but we've we've done research. We've got rough ideas of things. If you were today going, we're going to need to raise money to start a brewery, fifteen barrel brewery. Um, what would you be say would be a rough ballpark figure for how much you'd have to raise? And I know there's loads of loads of varieties. What would you be comfortable with? Uh, depending on what you were putting in there, um, where it was, and uh, how sort of user friendly, customer friendly you wanted to be anywhere between I wouldn't feel comfortable starting with less than 150 um, but again you know it depends on if you bought a kit on on spec or if someone's you know desperate to get rid of one if you're doing a bit of the, of the boneyard situation where it's all just random pieces scrapped together you know I don't know if you've got any friends that can wield stuff for you and, and you know get around that <laughs> Uh, or carpenters that will come and do the lovely tap room for you at, at you know, just the, their hourly rate. But, yeah, if, I'd say sort of 150 to 300 would be my, you know, we'll start there and see what we've got at the end. Um, which appreciates a lot of money. No, yeah, well, I mean, well, for us, I mean, that's, that's nothing. That's nothing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can't have a wallet. No, no yeah, understood, understood. At the moment this weekend. <laughs> on to, on to um, raising that that money mm. then. So say we're going for say three hundred grand or something like that. You've had experience with crowdfunding, which is something that we're looking at. What you did at Wild Beer and again at Verdant, yeah. is that correct? How what how was that for you? And what are your learnings from it? I'd say one was very. They were both incredibly useful. Um, I don't want to talk ill of. Uh, an old brewery. I've still got a lot of friends there, um, but I feel like what Verdant did better than Wild Beer was the information and the nurturing of that community side of, of the crowdfund post the crowdfund. Okay. Um, you know, there are a lot of reasons for the things not being able to happen at Wild Beer that were told were going to happen. Um, you know. A lot of stuff was was after I'd left, and I'm you know I know that they're working on on things, but sometimes they just don't go the way that you you know expect and hope them to. Um, uh, and Verdon, it went completely, you know, exactly the way the guys wanted it to with the with the, the spec the spec out of the building, the install, the time frame, you know. Um, but you have to be super honest with with everybody. That's the main thing. Um, you can't over communicate. You have to set yourself a lot of time aside, you know, for from the brewery to to update them, uh, the investors. Um, but you know, you're set up for that already in a way that you're not trying to bring people into your community. You've already established, uh, you know, one. You're trying to grow the one that you've got. So it's, it was a lot. It'd be a lot harder if you were coming in from a different industry or hadn't spent any time in here or you know I appreciate it's relatively new for both of you but it's not completely new you're not 
making that that move tomorrow. You know, you're coming in with some quite a good level of, of, of understanding, and you're being patient about it. You know, you're wanting to go and brew and see uh, what everyone's sort of doing and, and looking at things and work out how that can fit in to your space and what you've already got. Yeah, I think crowdfunding is a really good thing if it's managed right. You know, I'd say been a few that were not you know the businesses were probably overvalued and, and just over expectancy and people also thought they could probably see massive returns because of what was going on at Brewdog where you know they love to tell people if you buy them at 500 they're worth five grand but like anything it's only worth what the person wanted to buy it will pay for it so yeah yeah and what made people hmm? well I was going to say what made people buy into your Crowdfund, do you think, James? What made it work? What made the investors interested? I'd say a combination of the of three things. You, you always have your super loyal fans that will just, you know, I'd say make up probably 60, 70% of your, of your capital, which would be they just want the grant to do well and they believe in what you're doing. So they'll be your, you know, lower contributions, but a higher percentage of your overall value. You'll definitely have some private investors <clears throat> or bigger quantities, you know, a category A shares or whatever, but they'll approach you privately. Um, and then the rewards are also, you know, pretty important if you're if you're thinking about us. If someone's buying quite a bit of our beer regularly or lives in one of the retail places in you know that we have, they constantly are getting discounts and access to things and you know web shop passwords. If we've got very limited amounts of beer, they're guaranteed within reason you know to get on there before it goes on to general sale um and just i'd say the main thing is they just wanted to succeed you know they believe in what you're doing and you know i've probably done five or six where i just thought you know i like that brewery i've got a small bit of, of cash i want to do well i'll put 100 150 quid in or whatever is there a are, what are the downsides of of going down the crowdfunding route if there are um, I'd say you have to be prepared for the amount of communication that it's going to require uh, after when, you know, when, when it's complete. Uh, I didn't handle any of the actual interactions between the brewery and Crowdcube or um, you know the investor emails per se. That was that was with someone else, but I could see and hear quite often that you know they were getting caught up and, and struggling uh, with just the sheer amount of questions and, you know, issues with things. Um, yeah, I'd say the, the main issue would, would just be if you're not prepared for it, you know, you just have to uh, think if you've got 2,000, 2,500, 3,000 people that put something in, the majority of them are going to want to talk to you and ask questions about it and that's that's where the comms comes out and if you're making content and, and videos and open about everything we're doing anyway, then those questions will be dramatically reduced versus if you're very secretive about what you're what you're working on and then all of a sudden you want to release a beer that no one knew you were doing and it is in limited quantities. I feel it does fit quite well with what we're doing in terms of the sort of open communication and the building of the community first thought of it. It does feel quite a sort of natural fit. It does seem that yeah from when I've looked around on crowdfunding websites on Cedars or Crowdcube, things like that, that breweries are seem to be quite popular things for people anyway. So it does it does seem 
a natural fit for us. I'd say, so. I would say. I'd say the only the only ones I, I mean I don't really pay it too much attention now unless it's a project that I, I know or you know someone's told me about. But I'd say that the days of trying to fund the entire space generally seem to be over. Um, it's more small upgrades or changes, or they've had some you know financial issues with a, a wholesale that's gone bankrupt or part of machinery may have given up a ghost um, whereas before it was sort of people trying to crowdfund for over one into two maybe three million it's like I mean, that's a lot of capital to raise you know 56 yeah. grand to 70 grand seems a lot more a lot more reasonable and also for you as a business to find that time to you know to interact with them because if, it, if it, the more you're pushing for the more you're going to have to give back right yeah Absolutely, absolutely. Um, wonderful. So what's, um, what's next for Verda? What have you got coming up in the future? Anything exciting that you can tell us about? So I'd say the most exciting thing for us will be the tap room in the offices uh, opening, which is due, mm, I want to say, the next four weeks, but let's see. Um, the tap room will, will, will definitely be later in the offices. We need to, to finish that off, and that's, that's sort of being worked through now, staffing it, you know, when picking the day that we actually want to go for it. Um, yeah, beyond that, it's sort of this weird transition into, into autumn now. So historically, it slows down a little bit. Um, prepping for Christmas, it's, you know, export will, will, will be quiet. Uh, fest, festivals seem to not really be starting, but there's a few. Um, but yeah, it, autumn is when it sort of becomes uh, planning for next year and that kind of stuff. You know, a bit of breathing space and awesome. But yeah, the, Wonderful. The offices we're very excited about because it's, yeah, it's nice as this. Very classroom lit, poor cabin is. Yeah, being in a, an actual office is, yeah. That's the dream. It's been over the dream. Um, it's been, been way too long. So we're, we're, we're ready for it. Yeah, you get in there before winter. You don't want to, you don't want to be in poor cabin in winter. I remember that from school. Yeah. It wasn't <laughs> it's either extremely hot, extremely cold, or... Yeah, there's no in between, and yeah, when it rains or there's seagulls just slapping on top of the roof, it's yeah, it's a nightmare. And of course, you're, you know, we're eight people in here, so you, there's no privacy. You know, everyone knows what everyone else is working on because you can hear absolutely every single conversation in front of all. But you know, that's why I came in early this morning to get in before for them all because they'd all be uh, talking over the top of me and you know, shouting out that was wrong or whatever. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> all right, we don't want any 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 backseat podcasting from your, your workmates marvellous well uh, Mike anything to add no I think it's, you know, it's really interesting great your journey is so fascinating and actually one thing I would, would ask although I'm being a little careful here because the last time we did a podcast where we said anything else to add Mike and then I went off asking lots of questions and then he cut me off and put out the music. Oh. It was outrageous. <laughs> but what is it about, what is the James Golding secret sauce? Because you kind of seem to happily go from one place to another uh, and just bring fantastic success with you. Um, so what is that? Uh, I would say 90% luck, 10% hard work. Uh, I was, you know, I was super fortunate <laughs> in, in Norway to work for Mike. You know, you, you Am I spoiling things if I say that you're going to... No, 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 we're, we're, we've, op- we've openly mentioned... Yeah, so we're going to Lervig next to work with Mike, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's you know, you, you've... Yeah. Robbie knows a little bit more about that. As, you know, we, we were having beers uh, in town years ago talking about it, but 
Um, it's definitely something that he's he's taught me, which is you know, learn as much as you can as quickly as you can and share it. You know, he was. I don't want to say the best person I've ever worked for, but I, I really, you know, that lesson has stayed in my head where he just would tell me absolutely everything about how it worked and why it worked and why the decisions were made and the whole process of it. And, you know, I couldn't have got a, a better education uh, in terms of overall, not just brewing, but overall ways that breweries work and the size and the fact that, you know, we had that initial, if you want, we were on that wave. So it was trial by fire back in, you know, 2013 when there wasn't a lot of those, what we consider now pretty normal, you know, styles, barrel this and, and double IPA, triple IPAs, but there wasn't a lot of them. So, you know, I wouldn't quite put him or put Lerbig in that trailblazing, you know, uh, bracket, but he definitely was. You know, he was in Copenhagen and Italy before that, and, and, and really pushing um, Europeans' perception of, of beers and beer styles. Um, so yeah, a lot of it is down to is down to him, and the rest of it, you know, <laughs> just work a lot and very hard in terms of driving what we're doing forward. I try to spend as little time possible now looking at other breweries. You know, I appreciate their beers and. and and what they're doing, but if you look at what your competitors are doing too hard, you lose where you are in all. And um, whilst it's super open and nice in, in those ways, it can also be a little bit sort of, you know, oh, should we be doing that? Um, and yeah, I just think that that's, those are the, you know, they're what's got me to this, to this point. Um, I'm very, probably quite annoying to work with at the brewery because I do have this desire to know what's going on across the four departments. I leave the brewers alone, but you know, the warehouse, the seller, the packaging, the sales team, I'm constantly, you know, what's not working, tell me so I can fix it now before, um, you know, we get stung with that. But these are all things that you guys will have to, have to be dealing with hopefully in the next 16 to 18 months, if everything goes to plan, it takes off. Yeah, yeah, you know, exciting times, exciting times. Absolutely. Well, thank you, James, when can, we, when can we go for a beer together? Um, Whenever, really. I'm back up in Buckingham end of this week. So, and I was going to ask when you guys wanted to come down to Falmouth. Uh, we'd, we'd love, whenever, whenever you'll have us, we'll <laughs> yeah. be down there. <laughs> it's that simple. It, it, it would probably be, I'd have thought Manchester, if we go out to Manchester in October, we're going to hang out there and see some breweries and, and talk shop. Wonderful. Look forward to it. Yeah, me too. Brilliant. Cheers, James. Thank you very much for chatting with us and we'll be pestering you with more um, WhatsApp messages very soon. Yep, great. Have a good one. <laughs> Cheers, James. Cheers, Bye. That was the lovely James Goulding. Great guy, isn't he, Mike? Oh, he's a lovely man and he really typifies the industry. He just He's so giving in terms of the information his willingness to share. So, yeah, James is brilliant. Yeah, we'd have no idea what we're doing without James. So, so glad he agreed to come on the podcast and chat with us. Um, that brings us to the end of our episode, unless Mike intends on doing another 15 ends of the episode like last week. Uh, <laughs> what do you... You're annoyed about that, aren't you? No. I feel really awkward about talking, Dad. <laughs> No, 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 you, 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 you can. Um, you say you, no, you do you, Mike. Not. You do you, Mike. No. Um, I, if I ask you questions, you can talk. <laughs> That's the rule. That's your role now. <laughs>
<laughs> Mike, what do what what can people do if they want to get hold of the beer? Our collab. Uh, so head over to the S forty three website, um, and you can find it all on there. It's sold in six packs, three of each, and it comes with a lovely uh, set of tasting notes, so you can compare and contrast. Wonderful, yeah. So head over there, get your beer if you want. Thank you very much. We'll be back next week with another episode. And don't forget to, um, this is available as an audio thing. And also YouTube, so if you prefer watching things, you can head over to YouTube. If you prefer listening, you can head over to your favourite podcast provider. We're on quite a lot of them now, but still working our way through um, to the last few. Um, I mean, obviously, Marvellous, there's other content as well on the YouTube channel, if that's what you want. It's a real hub for information. Michael, thank you very much for joining me, as always, today. Or, well, he's not really joining me. We've joined up together, and we? That made it sound like this is my thing, my, my podcast space. But really, it is a mutual space. I'm, I'm just getting sick of how long you're making this drag on, to be honest with you. All right, bye. Ha, 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 ha.